Welcome. You're listening to the Green Majority Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We have a, a number of uh, uh, educational news pieces today. Unfortunately, today is a bit of a Debbie Downer, uh, just because we have to talk about climate change a whole bunch, and it's scary. But we try and do it in our usual sarcastic, upbeat tone that we hope you appreciate. Uh, consider sharing the show with a friend. We try. Uh, part of the reason we try and make this uh, amusing, uh, despite the topic, is because uh, we know that this stuff can be hard to listen to. So uh, please, if you think we do a good job, share us with a friend. And something else you can do to help us uh, help us out and help support the show is also become a member. You can become a member for as little as $1 a month through Patreon. Recommended, if you can afford it, is uh, 5 or $10. It uh, would be great, but uh, anything is appreciated and welcomed. You can do that at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash greenmajority or check out greenmajority.ca. Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, the special Toronto Pride edition, I guess we're going to say. Oh, that's, that's very nice. Uh, although I feel like we don't actually have any stories related to Pride. This is just happy Pride. Yeah. No, I'm just going to be prideful throughout today's show. Okay, great. Uh, we're going to do in reverse order. Uh, oh, sorry. I should introduce. I'm getting off to a quick start here. Stefan, thank you for joining me. It's just uh, Stefan Hostetter in the studio uh, with myself, Saren Kaster, and we're uh, going to be doing another solid news show. I think that's uh, easy to do these days. Mm. Uh, finding news stories has always been very easy for us. Um, it Things continues keep happening. to be easy. Yeah. Um, if only those were good stories, most of them. But anyway, all right. So starting in reverse order here, we're gonna we're gonna start off with a sort of a, our, our usual format here. Stefan will take the lead at the beginning of the show. I'm gonna preview some of the rest of the content later in the show in reverse order before, and then we'll get down to uh, to Stefan taking away here with our first couple of stories. So our bonus show this week is going to be talking about uh, Stephen Hawking. Uh, the bonus show, of course, gets posted on a separate day. So if you're listening on the radio, you'll have to go find the podcast for that. Uh, Stephen Hawking has now been quoted as saying that humans, and this is an updated uh, number. He had a much larger number, I believe. I believe it was as much as five or 500 or 1,000 years, saying now that humans must colonize another planet in the next 100 years or face extinction. And of course, uh, extreme statements are something very easy to find on the internet. Stephen Hawking is not someone who's prone to extreme or flippant statements. So we'll discuss the technical reasons for that and whether or not we agree with that statement uh, at the end. Yes, I dare think that I maybe disagree with Stephen Hawking. I will dare. Maybe. We'll see. Coming up later in the program, we're also going to be talking about uh, Trump uh, advertising the irony and the complex uh, policy uh, actual details behind the flippancy of uh, Trump saying that he's going to cover the border wall with solar panels. We're also going to be talking about flooding. Stefan will be getting into that as well. Uh, There's a very fascinating story um, that I think is definitely worth focusing on for a few minutes here about the science of why it's too hot for some planes to fly. So some some flights were grounded last week in the U.S. uh, out of Phoenix, Arizona, specifically uh, directly attributable to the to an increase in, in temperature and directly uh, threatened continuing uh, by climate change. Uh, Exxon, BP, and Shell back a carbon tax proposal to curb emissions. Uh, we'll also be talking about uh, energy conservation and the really important role it plays in the under uh, under talked about role it plays in climate solutions. Uh, and finally, I'm also going to be doing a little bit of a sort of a journalism segue at some point, uh, talking about uh, Trudeau liberals doing something I agree with wholeheartedly for once, which is uh, attempting to begin the reconstruction and repair uh, done by Harper to our public broadcaster, the CBC. But that's it for the rest of the show. Stefan is going to take us off right now with some other stuff. Thank you very much. Um, I feel like 
how we often – when you do this show so often, we, we go through uh, ebbs and flows, I feel like, of covering particular topics. You know, there's, there was a time when uh, every single week we could talk about a pipeline uh, being built or being opposed or, or leaking. Um, and, to, and, and that is not to say that even right now I'm sure I could not Google something and get you four pipeline stories. Yeah, I was going to rephrase. There's sometimes when we can't not make it all right. about pipelines. We could easily make it every week if we really wanted yes. to. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the pipeline majority is a much is – a, would be a much weirder show, I think. Um, so – and so if recently for a while, we, we've got off the track of, of really discussing what the, the impacts of climate change are happening right now uh, or the impacts of climate change are happening in the next in the next short foreseeable future. And so I wanted to highlight a couple different uh, new studies and and, and sort of current examples uh, even uh, of, of, of the ways climate change is going to affect us and is currently affecting us, because I think. Oddly, and this is maybe uh, this is almost certainly a to some extent a uh, a bias that I have in in, in my brain uh, because we do the studies because 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 we uh, because I read about this and read about this and read about this that it feels as if it, the extreme weather is actually increasing uh, even here in Toronto in the area. You know, even about a week ago we had a, we had a tornado warning within within Toronto, um, which to my knowledge has not happened uh, at least for, for in my, I think in my lifetime. But that, again, that's, that's because you're young. Probably, yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, you get these meta-studies that actually do show that, ex- that events of extreme weather are increasing. Um, and, but it's always hard to sort of parse out what exact, which ones of those can be attributed to climate change. The answer is all of them, sort of. Um, and, then, uh, and, then, and then all the different parts, bits and pieces of this. So all that being said, uh, two studies just came out quite recently uh, that highlight the two major ways that to expect to see um, to see climate change impacting the world and they come in pretty obvious and in sort of the most obvious ways I think these are the two types of things that more commonly you hear uh, being warned about uh, the first is is heat waves which seems incredibly intuitive uh, if, there's any, if there's anything that global warming implies it's that the world will be warmer. Um, and so this study shows that uh, the risks have climbed uh, since 1980, and the number of people in danger uh, from actual uh, heat waves that, that that are dangerous heat waves. So there's a level, there's a there's a threshold you must pass to become not just sort of hot out, but like dangerously hot out, um, is going to grow to 48 percent by 2100. So this is almost half of the world will experience heat waves so dangerous that it could it could it could kill you. Um, and, and the ways that, and what's interesting about that as well is that uh, that even those thrush marks aren't perfect because of some ways because y- you can actually die of heat as low in tw- as there's some records of even 23 degrees Celsius if there's if there's not if there's if it's too humid or other ways can actually cause can induce things like strokes um, and so and so the idea of it being you know 30 uh, or 40 or as it was in as it was in uh, uh, southwestern United States, uh, 48.3 degrees on Monday. Uh, that was in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where the planes were grounded, which you'll cover a bit later, uh, which is almost 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And, uh, you know, and, and the, on Monday also saw the whole, there's a whole heat wave across, uh, across the same area, area of the states. Uh, Palm Springs was forecasted at 116 Fahrenheit, which is 46.6 degrees Celsius. Uh, Sacramento reached 41 degrees Celsius. And again, this is like, up, we're up here in Toronto and that's unheard of. Um, and yet, uh, when you look at some of the other information, um, 
there was a was a report out of Peel region, which is you know just outside of Toronto, uh, that if you did get to uh, three or four degrees warming, you'd be looking at Toronto temperatures hitting fifty degrees Celsius, uh, and that is that is really a sh- that's not even that long of a of uh, you know. That's within, not say our lifetime, but probably, you know, probably I would say this in the next generation's lifetime uh, of possibility to get to, to, to get that high, or at least to be locked into warming that would lead us to that kind of that kind of region. And it's, it's probably a good time to just while you're going through this stuff, just to remind people or for any of those maybe are, are new listeners or maybe you're new to this topic or, or whatever, um, that even if 100 percent of all carbon, uh, you know, heat trapping gases were eliminated tomorrow, which is obviously I don't have to say is impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, we w- this problem would still get worse for 20 to 50 to 100 years. Right. So we're committed well beyond what we're already seeing. So when we start as we start, you know, as Stefan continues and, and goes through some of these effects, uh, this is not like the effect of climate change. Like it, if you know what I mean, like it's not like, oh, okay, well, there's that. So we have that now. No, no, it's that plus you, who knows what, but it, there's going to be more and more and more and more no matter what we do. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's the, there's a, there's, yeah, there's a delay on this, which is the, it's the key point you're making there. It's a, it's a, there's a delay on some, of the, on some of the emissions then leading to heat and everything like that. So. Yeah, so effectively, this is the climate change from the 80s, like from like <laughs> mid 80s right now is well, what we're getting. It's, it's later than the 80s for sure. Uh, you know, we're, 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 we're up to like one, we're almost at a, basically an extra degree Celsius at this point. Um, so it's, it's definitely not just the 80s, but it's, it's, it's certainly, there's certainly yeah if you stop right now you're still not dealing with uh you're just not doing you're you're not you're not done basically uh not to mention that carbon is only one of the many greenhouse gas emissions that also exist and so even if you stop all now and switch to methane we're actually worse off um so so there's a whole bunch of uh, of uh, every part of this is sort of like well all these things we need to figure out in these different ways um but so the so heat waves uh, aside uh, and again, that's 48 uh, percent by 2100 will be exceeding heat waves. And, the, and so the, the actual the, the threshold is if there's 20 days, um, which is dangerous and deadly uh, heat is that threshold. Um, so it's almost half the world experiencing 20 days of heat that that could that could that could kill you. Um, and, and on the other side of that, uh, it's also going to rain a, a lot more, or at least rain a lot more concentratedly, is more accurate. Because um, again, all of this is all of this has to do accuracy in all these reporting is the most important part. Because you can just say because it, it's not so much that an area will actually get more or less rain, which is sort of why um, yearly averages can be deceiving. Mm. You know, you can say, well, this area received the exact same amount of rain year over year over year, uh, and those can be a series of three or four extreme floods, or they can be a normal amount of rain that actually is very habitable. Right. And so habitability of these of these things is very determined on 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 when it happens and how it happens rather than just a yearly average. Actually, on, on Facebook yesterday, for a completely unrelated reason, I reshared probably for about the third time uh, John Oliver from last week tonight's bit on scientific studies. Uh, I find that that is more or less required reading. Uh, if, you, if, if you've never done any other educating yourself about how science works and how science is often misreported and that, that the, a lot of the, um, and I just, I interact with a lot of people who are, you know, varying degrees of knowledge of about how science works. And, and sometimes I'm quite frustrated because you'll meet people who's like, well, you know, scientists are always changing their mind. Therefore, you know, my, my personal preference theory that I'm, that I made is just as valid and no, it's not. But the reason is because is, is not, is, is that often the, the thing that you're reading about science is 
is actually badly written and is miscommunicating the reality, right? And 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 this can be quite extreme in some cases, and quite shocking. Like you wouldn't, you'd find it hard to believe um, that this could even be misreported this way. But it, it's often like a case of broken telephone. So anyway, I won't go, I, I won't go on about that anymore. But uh, I, uh, I'll likely, uh, or if not, somebody remind me, or if not, just look up uh, last week tonight's uh, John Oliver bit on scientific studies. It's it's extremely informative, especially if if you haven't looked into that topic before. Hmm. Speaking of studies, uh, excellent segue there. Uh, there was uh, there's another one out of uh, Princeton and Rutgers, um, which are which are two New United States universities uh, about uh, the coastline cities looking at different how coastline cities are affected by floods, and the numbers are staggering. And and in and this is within our lifetime. Uh, you know, presuming we are lucky enough to live another. What would the quick math? Thirty-three years um, is that they expect uh, that the average risk of a hundred-year flood. So these are floods. Often, when they describe significant weather events, uh, it's described by how many you can expect in a hundred-year period um, or in a certain period. And and so a hundred-year flood means is a one percent chance of it happening. Um, and so uh, you know it doesn't actually mean that it will happen only once a, once every hundred years, but that's roughly where, well, on average, what you can expect. Um, and the study has, has revealed that they expect that the risk of a hundred year flood will actually increase by a 40 fold. So that's not, that's not, that's, that's 40 times more likely. And, and some of those things, and then that's, that's, that already sounds scary. And then you realize what that actually means when you look into the specific cities. And so cities like San Francisco and Seattle would get one of these hundred year floods every uh, every year by 2050. So every single year, these cities are going to be flooded in a way that would be would have been a would have been like the once in a lifetime experience uh, is now has cut down to every single year. So this is this is the kind of thing that is when you talk about making sure your cities are resilient. Uh, this is the amount of money that we're now needing to spend to protect our cities because of the because of climate change. Yeah, and and say that date again just so people didn't miss it. Yeah, 2050. That's not far off, folks. Yeah. That is, that is that is 33 years from now. Um, that is uh, there's a chance Stefan and I will still be doing this show. <laughs> it's, it's possible. Um, you know the the people who are born today will be just like just enter, just finishing their post doctorates on how do we solve our this oh no oh no oh no PhD yeah. which is what they'll switch change the name of uh, of all climate change things to. Um, and that's and that's those are the best ones. It's worse in Key West, Florida. Uh, which will be hit 11 times a year. San Diego is going to be expect this 10 times a year. This is 10 times a year. This is a flood that it was usually would have been like the. You remember that flood 30 years ago? Yeah, that the, was nuts. the one that your know, grandpa has his tale about. He tells it things. Exactly. This is happening every yeah. single 10 times a year. Um, and and the the worst, perhaps the worst. And this is again, this is, should highlight how much more, um, uh, how much more uh, susceptible. Uh, island nations are, and, and when these island nations uh, take action, uh, you need to realize that this is their livelihoods at stake. This is not in, 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 of their existence of their country at stake, really. Um, and, and Hawaii was the um, uh, was the one was I believe the first state to sort of sign on to the I don't care what Trump says, but the Paris Agreement still exists, and we're going to try to live up to it uh, approach. Um, and there's a bunch of other states that are also that are also moving towards that. But Hawaii, especially, is 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 perhaps uh, has some of the most terrifying information. And, and th- this is really th- this is when he talked talk about not apocalypse for the world as uh, Stephen Hawking is talking about, but at the very least, like this is the destruction of any livelihood in in in, in areas. Uh, and it's this uh, this island called uh, Makulu. 
Matolu, M-O-K-U-O-L-O-E, island at Sitchit off Ohu. This is, man, I'm realizing I do not know how to say anything from Hawaii. It's what I'm learning. Yeah, we don't discriminate with screwing up people's names. Yeah, I also can't say anything from Hawaii. Um, But this is this is an island uh, that is that is part of Hawaii uh, that would be get uh, get 100 year floods, 130 times a year. You are no longer living on that. Otherwise known as days that end with Y. Yeah, like this is once every three days you will have a flood that would be considered a hundred year flood. This is that at that point you are no longer the, the, the human life is no longer possible on a on a or at least no longer in any way resembles what exists today. Is probably right. better put. And and of course keep in mind that these are floods on top of. Are, uh, of the actual rising sea level, which is probably where you're going next, right? Yeah, like, yeah it's, it's like it's a it's, so a. it's not like what we have now plus more floods. It's raising sea level, wiping out coastal properties and entire island states, and then on top of that, there's going to be flooding. Yeah, so th- yeah, this is rain-induced floods, right? This is this is these are flooding events caused by caused by caused by extreme weather and, and rain and, and other areas. Um, and and part of actually the to, to reference the rising sea levels, one of the interesting pieces about the rising sea levels is that. Um, we picture it as just getting higher and then it just becoming so high that it then it floods something, right? That's how you picture rising sea levels. It raises by a foot, uh, so everything that is a foot high up and is now covered in water. Um, and that's not actually that's not actually what people are, are concerned about with rising sea levels. The actual concern is that that extra one foot doesn't doesn't actually necessarily matter on a, any given day, but in any of these other events, especially the Hurricane Sandy is the great, great example of this. Um, the the super the the increase on top of that is the is is what then causes these floods. Right. You know we've created systems that are expecting the water to be water to be at one level, uh, and then it can have and we've built in some acceptance for some extreme weather. But if that level that's already started is already starts higher, the chances of you getting flooded is dramatically dramatically higher. Right, and just of course for for clarity and to make sure that nobody's uh, offended, what Stephen what Stephen was saying was uh, was not that it that a one foot sea level rise doesn't matter anywhere. There are some island states that one foot that are right. only one foot below sea level, and this would actually wipe them off the map. What Stefan's saying is that one foot of sea level rise can't be calculated that way to assess the damage. So if you're saying, well, my property is two feet above sea level rise, th- you know, two level of, two feet above sea level, therefore I don't have to care. That is, I just want to be clear that that was your point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, there are, there are a, a certain number of, uh, of island nations that are in, that are even even more uh, at risk than uh, than the than sort of the ones that we sort of, that than when we're thinking of the infrastructure we currently have uh, around New York and, and you know these sort of uh, United States cities. Uh, so to finish this off, um, it's not just it's not even just some of these sort of southern cities or some other. It's it's, it's like to to get back to Hurricane Sandy, even even New York. Um, which is expecting uh, is is going to be affected by this? Anything on the coast, and that's and if you look at the pop- population centers within within North America or within the world, we really like coasts because that used to be where shipping lanes were, and so they all, most major cities are along the coast, and so the percentage of the populations that are that are threatened by this is massive. Um, and so for New York City, it's not as scary as those numbers, but still you're looking at uh, you get one every well, every 20 years by 2050, but once every month by 2100. Uh, and so you're you're back, right? You're back at this sort of thing where once a month – New York cannot be flooded once a month. Like, I, like the, that, that impacts everything. 
Um, you know, in, in, in especially things like the, uh, the, the subways, you know, when Hurricane Sandy hit subways shut down, uh, and if that's happening once a month, subways don't exist anymore. Like right. you, you can't, you can't be pumping out, uh, your subways from filled with water once a month and expect that to be a reasonable or even safe way to travel. Right. Now we, we have to move on to our, to our first movie break here, but just for the sake of it, just to, just to sort of emphasize the point that Stefan and I could play this game of, and then there's on top of that for <laughs> hours, uh, from memory, hmm. not that we're bragging, but <laughs> yeah, sort of bragging. Um, but uh, even on top of that, so okay, so let's pre- let's let's pretend that isn't true, Stephen, just for a moment. Hmm. Uh, let's pretend that that, that New York uh, being uh, more than a foot above w- water level is it, it completely eliminates them from any climate effects, which is obviously nonsense. But let's just let's play with this hypothetical. Uh, but New Orleans gets is now uh, half of their property disappears and basically large swaths of other areas just looking at the United States uh, is flooded. Okay, well then where do those millions of people go? They go to the places that aren't flooded. Right? So now you've just doubled the population of New York City and every other major city that hasn't been affected. So there's really no escaping this. That well, nobody is going to have no impacts. Everybody is going to have negative impacts. Yeah, well and and, and yeah, yeah yeah to describe to describe what is currently happening as major as weather as just weather makes it you think in your head what's going to happen is people will deal with it and then rebuild and deal with it and rebuild. But there are many many places where that's not possible uh, in which that just becomes displacement. Um, and so there's yeah, there's there's layers on this that that is that is well outside of the realm of, of, of our understanding currently yeah. um, and in a huge amount of human impact um, and human devastation that we haven't even that just explaining sort of the the amount of extreme weather to expect is only the beginning of uh, of, of, of some of the the true challenges that this management yeah. takes. And I, I've seen some preliminary work from like city planners in, in various countries around the, the world that are now it's now becoming part of their job description to include language of describing things like trying to analyze abandonment zones mm. like just think about it. i mean like that that's from like a like a like a silly like uh, alien invasion movie yeah. abandonment zones or like some zombie horror flick right like this is the new world war z2 or something abandonment zones no this is modern due to climate change yeah. uh, as we said we could go on like this forever but let's uh, let's take a little pause there um so we're uh, you're listening to the green majority here on CIUT 89.5 fm you could be listening on one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners uh, or listening on the podcast if you are of course you get a little extra content there a uh, great place to check that out is greenmajority.ca we will be back in just a moment after our music break uh, which is going to be introduced by I make it take it away creative thinking in the first degree you're a three-way mirror back you're listening to the green majority here on ciut 89.5 fm uh hope that was enough of a break for you we know that we just uh flooded you with information wow really yeah all right that happened yeah <laughs> The science of why it's too hot for some planes in the South U.S. Uh, Stefan mentioned earlier there was a 118 degree Fahrenheit uh, record uh, in Phoenix, Arizona this past week, um, or earlier this week, rather, technically. Um, And it set some heat records. Of course, Stefan mentioned that this is ongoing effects of climate change. But another very interesting thing, which I had never considered, of course, this is one of those things where even... Uh, it, it, there's so many impacts. There's so many impacts that the, and the cascade effect of the interrelationship of those things uh, is makes things very hard to predict. And of course, that's the that's the part that all the people that would would like to confuse the public take advantage of because it's very complex. And it's it, each individual component is quite easy to explain, but the interrelationships and complexity becomes very very difficult to explain uh, very quickly. Um, so one of the effects, uh, of course, was that the heat 
from the uh, from the heat wave, aside from all its other impacts, also grounded planes essentially. So. Planes, and I didn't know this, but it makes total sense. It's, it's based on physics. The, the lift of physics is such that, um, and the, the, the article I'm going here is from Forbes, actually has a really handy diagram. But essentially, there's a, there's a pressure differential that's created by the wing design. And what it does uh, is it sort of pushes uh, high-pressure uh, air below and, and, and sort of skims around lower pressure above. This is, of course, I'm super bastardizing the description. And if physicists, please forgive me, uh, or anyone with any better aviation knowledge. But mm-hmm. essentially, we're, it's, it, it, it relies on a pressure differential, what's called a pressure differential. And uh, this is caused uh, by a certain amount of uh, air density. Uh, but what happens when it gets very, very hot is the air becomes, it, the air essentially thins out. And it affects planes' abilities to create lift. So it wasn't a matter of you know it's too hot for the pilots or something like that, or they couldn't you know maintain the 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 seat uh, the the seat comfort they were looking for. The planes literally could not fly. It was not safe to fly the planes. And you know this may be you know at first at first blush, uh, well some degree of uh, some degree of inconvenience. Uh, your flight being delayed perhaps overnight. And of course, we've had a lot of issues with flight and, and especially when it's going to be hot. I mean, there's going to be brawls started about this guaranteed, especially if planes are being grounded because of heat. I mean, this is the, that's a disaster waiting to happen on its own. Right. But what's very worrying, of course, here is to consider how much this isn't just planes don't just move people. Planes do a lot of things. Planes are uh, a huge amount of our, our delivery system for our globalized economy, but whether it comes to uh, food or consumer products, uh, a lot of the stuff that comes, um, a, lot of the, a lot of the individual, a lot of the like, uh, last mass-produced items that are produced in China for sale in North America are moved by, by tanker ship, uh, but, a, but a lot of the heavy um, uh, Amazon for instance, uh, a lot of the a lot of the individual items, a lot of things that you order online, most of those are air flight, and this could create a really serious problem with not just, of course, the convenience effects, and of course, Stefan was talking about the uh, a lot of the the physical danger effects, but the the economic impact. So, say say uh, no one in North America could fly for three days because of a, an extended heat wave. This would inconvenience a lot of people, but it would also create a massive ripple economically throughout the world because of that that delay would cre- would create havoc and of course this would also have economic ripples, right? So uh, it might affect China's currency and then China's currency change might affect something else and then so- and on and on and on and on. And of course, I'm not an economist, and and perhaps Tim Nash will listen to this and and send me an email with some uh, with better information or perhaps a resource uh, to where I can better understand what that effect is. But it absolutely will have an effect. So uh, I, I don't want to spend too much more time on that, other than that I thought it was really interesting to think about um, and just to consider you know how many other hidden things there are like this. Uh, I will post the article, of course, as we always do for you to read and actually really understand it. It does a really good job of going through the actual physics of what's going on here. Uh, but aside from that, we'll probably leave it there, Stefan, and move on unless you have a comment. Uh, I was just going to say I think that's the the last thing you mentioned there about the unexpected additions to different uh, different different ways this affects things is is going to be huge, and especially the you know and whenever we talk about what, what's important about this kind of story um, and is that whenever we talk about the fact that a lot of the systems we're designing are to maximize efficiency. 
this maximized efficiency almost always comes at a cost of of minimizing resiliency. Um, and so and so that is going to more and more and more that's going to come home to roost. You know, if you aren't if if you know we've made we've managed to maximize efficiency on a whole bunch of of things, whether it's you know whether it is air flight uh, to to our food systems. Uh, to really anything is maximized for the conditions we have now, uh, and and they are especially within food, they are not maximized for a wide range of temperatures or fluctuation. They do only well in particular uh, particular s- sphere uh, of weather conditions, and so when we don't fully realize these other ways things can happen or other additions things can happen, um, we are these unforeseen expectations will become more and more prevalent and more and more devastating because of this fact that we're not creating resiliency. We have to start, we have to accept the other side of this coin very, very soon, which is we need to start focusing on resiliency rather than efficiency uh, because efficiency, when it, when it breaks down means zero. And we probably need to accept that 75% uh, is probably uh, that we get consistently (laughs) is better than zero. And uh, um, for an extended uh, for an extended discussion, there was an episode uh, that ended up being titled "Maximizing Fragility," which right. uh, w- which was uh, actually one of our more popular episodes mm-hmm. uh, based on on plays uh, of the past little while. So uh, I, I don't recall exactly how many weeks ago it was, but it, it, you can find that on our website. It's called "Maximizing Fragility." Uh, for yeah, for we spent quite a bit of the show talking about that. Um, Moving on a little bit, I want to talk about uh, Donald Trump just for a moment. Uh, really, not so much about him though. It's just he's just the one that made the news. So there's part of it that's sort of a like ha ha moment for Trump, and then there's a then there's a reason there's then there's the reason I actually want to talk about the story, which is very which is sort of only a little bit to do with Trump, uh, and I think it's the bigger part of the story. So Trump was doing a speech recently, of course, to try and distract himself from the fact that he's very likely about to be impeached, um, and went and did a you know one of his other pretending I'm still campaign. Um, uh, personality, his like personal feeling booster. He is event. still campaigning. Well, he, uh, yes. he, he, he restarted his he campaign. He restarted his campaign to be launched in 2020. I think the day or two after he yes. got elected. Yes. These are technically campaign. They, 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 it's he is still campaigning as ridiculous as that is. So, and I actually listened to, I don't, I'm not going to play it on the air, but, uh, I actually listened to that clip from the interview. It was posted on YouTube. You can watch it yourself. Uh, where he's basically saying, like, basically, and the thing they didn't even say in the article, but that it's like it's pretty clear from listening to him, is he's talking about how effa- how much money can be made by covering his proposed Mexico border wall with solar panels. So that's the story. And what was really obvious from that, even though it wasn't mentioned in the Guardian article, uh, was that basically this is his way of priming his audience that Mexico is not going to pay for the wall. You wouldn't be talking about making money from putting solar panels on it if you didn't, if you know, if you weren't concerned about uh your 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 fans uh wondering about uh the you know how this is going to be paid for so he's sort of priming his audience for that so that's one thing the other conversation is uh is of course that it's very interesting that all of a sudden he's a fan of solar panels and it's very very interesting that uh it'll be interesting to see because i don't think his audience has really had a chance to digest that just yet um but this would seem to contradict a lot of the things that he said uh, about solar energy. I don't know his audience will pick up on that. Uh, but I think some of like I think some of the talking heads will. I don't think the general populace will. I don't know. But apparently, solar panels are very good. Look how much money they can make. I feel like I feel like the the thing about Trump is that he will just say almost 
and like he he doesn't understand that uh, that object permanence <laughs> just almost yeah or, or position permanence <laughs> um, because he, you get to a point so commonly where he gets he gets one thought out uh, and then he thinks that like he's like oh I know what left-wing people like solar panels so i'll just combine these two ideas into one idea and everyone will like it instead of realizing that nobody will like it he, you know like, no one, like this, this, it's just complete other side of this uh this coin of which he's just like you know it's 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 like i'm gonna fire the director of the fbi because the democrats complained about him during the during the election they'll like that and without any realization right. that that's not how this is going to shake out i just i just thought of this live right now um uh as you were speaking but donald trump is increasingly reminding me of the protagonist from Memento. Uh, if you don't know what that movie just, is, Google just it. reading yeah. the reading if, things if we on start his arms. To see tattoos on his arms, then then we know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so so okay. So what was so that's kind of funny, and and it's it's interesting because it's it's it could signal him actually. It could mean that like one of my thoughts was that somebody actually got through to him and explained to him that solar panels are actually a really good idea. Uh, like from even a pure money point of view, like never mind the climate change thing. Uh, but one of the other uh, things in here which I didn't uh, which I did not expect. Um, is and it was uh, very interesting that they mentioned in the article was that solar uh, is also being used to uh, and it's I think it says something about where we're at as far as like public appeal of renewable energy uh, because it's being used now actively and not just by Trump in this thing. In fact, he probably got this idea from somewhere else. There's a story here linked to that about how Boston is putting solar powered. Um, uh, panels on the middle of park benches because oh look you can recharge your phones but it also is intentionally and specifically uh, and 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 quite it, the, uh, like it's it, it they, they say so this is the point uh, is to prevent homeless people from sleeping on it um, so it's being used to sort of like uh, it's very it's very I don't know I feel very a little bit dirty I, I can't think of the right word I feel very not conflicted about what they're being used for but it's 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 sullying. Uh, the idea of of this renewable energy that it's now being used to sort of like almost like quite literally paint over some horrible things they're being used to sort of excuse some um, some shadier ideas so whether we're talking about uh, taking you know sleeping places away from homeless people well instead of maybe just preventing them from being on the on the bench maybe you should provide housing for them so it's being used to sort of gloss over these are the problems and get the public to support it by saying well don't you like solar panels we're using solar panels to prevent those people from having a place to sleep or from to to get you to warm up to the idea of of us paying for a giant wall uh or any of these other things so i just thought i just thought that was interesting and, and worth mentioning uh and then the other day i think it really is uh, i think it really is possible that somebody actually explained to him that solar panels can be quite profitable well i i fully understand i i fully believe and it, i think it's an interesting shift that's actually occurring for sure which is this move towards um you know say what you will about sort of the market uh, but the market will event will will move towards things that are making money, um, and it is unquestionable that solar panels and renewable energy uh, are are booming right now, uh, and they are making money. Uh, and so there are a lot of people who who might be against a lot of parts of the environmental movement, but who will invest in solar panels because they make money. Um, and you know, if you're selling if you're selling solar panels to to the to the American South, you sell it you sell it as a way to get yourself off grid uh, from a sort of you know don't you want to be a, a true libertarian not rely on the government even for your energy kind of sell uh, they'll they, they've got a large history of being into that uh, and so you're probably you can do well and, and the American South has a ton and ton and ton of sun uh, and so they're they're well positioned um, but to get back to the previously a point about uh, about how they're being used I think that's super important that environmentalists uh, pay attention 
to scenarios when that things like that are happening. Co-opted. That's the word uh, I was looking for. Co-opted. Well, as again, I, I would argue that it may, may not necessarily be co-opted in that like solar panels themselves aren't necessarily aren't inherently uh, all good. You know, they, they there's a there's a percentage of, even the creation of them is is problematic. Uh, they have one particular benefit, which is that they're they provide renewable and carbon free energy. But there's a vast reasons which where they are in no way perfect and have their own problems. Um, but I think that the environmental movement uh, cannot allow for. Uh, this sort of different type of greenwashing. So not greenwashing and saying that a non-environmentally friendly thing is environmentally friendly, but rather that environmentally friendly thing is, can allow for other injustices. Uh, because the environmental movement allows and supports these sort of, you know, a border wall that is that is 100% going to hurt climate refugees, uh, further divide our, our world than actually getting work done, all these sort of things. Won't actually do anything because all the recent data shows that more, uh, and this is pre-Trump, that there's actually a net exit of Mexican uh, uh, born or you know Mexican identifying uh, uh, people, so it's actually there's not even a problem in the first place. But anyway, that's super off topic. Yeah, I yeah, just wanted to yeah, mention yeah. it. Yeah, but the, 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 the point I'm just trying to make is that I think we as environmentalists have to understand that we must remain uh, intersectional and and justice focused, even in scenarios when we're getting things we like. Well, you know, it's like it's one thing to say yes, I support indigenous organizations when they are standing up and fighting uh, against pipelines. Uh, it's another thing to say maybe we should actually think about where these solar panels are going because they're displacing uh, certain people or they're or they're they're a larger representation of the uh, of the of the injustice of the world exists. And I yeah. think we have to make sure that we're consistent on 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 how on on our on the fact that you know we need a just transition, not just a transition. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we're, I'm going to keep us back on, on track here. So we're going to do the Exxon one, but I'm going to leave that for after the second break here. We'll, we'll get ourselves back on our track there, give you some more time to digest that. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, Exxon, BP, and Shell uh, backing carbon tax uh, proposals and talk a little bit about uh, the CBC being repaired by liberals uh, here after years of, of erosion and, and, and a sort of a clear intent to just remove the public broadcaster and, and what this means. Uh, the short version, I'm happy. Uh, so we'll do that right after we come back from the break. Steven's going to tell us what our second final music break will be. All right, we are back in the final section now, the home stretch. There we go. I feel my voice getting a little louder. We're back. You're listening to the Green Majority here in C uh, at C I keep CIUT. CIUT. 89.5. I keep wanting to say CSI. <laughs> uh, CIUT 89.5 FM, uh, Toronto uh, Broadcast Live at Toronto. We're also broadcast on a number of very appreciated, I might add, community radio partners uh, internationally as well. Uh, we've begun to recognize uh, after uh, taking some time to, to really comb through our analytics over the last six months uh, that uh, fully one third of our audience are Americans. So hope that uh, you appreciate our content as well. And we, we've tried to maintain a, a sort of good balance here between uh, local uh, Canadian national and international news. Uh, because I think it's important and B, because that's who's listening to the show. Uh, so we're going to do that uh, right now. We're going to do that Exxon thing. So uh, yeah, so Exxon and Trudeau is basically going to be the end of the show. And I'll remind you again as well that our bonus show, which uh, you'll have to listen to the podcast to hear, uh, will be about Stephen Hawking uh, claiming that uh, humans are going to have to colonize another planet in the next 100 years or face extinction. We will discuss that on the bonus show uh, that you'll have to get on the podcast. But uh, for the remainder of the section, we're going to do Exxon. So just to, for a brief overview, and then I know Stefan has a, wants to get into this as well. So Exxon, BP, and Shell have backed a carbon tax proposal uh, to curb emissions. Um, which you would think we would be super happy about, or maybe if you don't know us at all and mm-hmm. have never listened to the show, you might think we'd be super happy about. But of course, there is more to the story. It's not a simple matter of do we do we agree that there should be a price on carbon or not. Uh, it's that sort of the positioning that is being done. You should always be suspicious when several large oil companies 
uh, are very loudly proclaiming something that sounds like it's good for climate change. Uh, I, someone may accuse me of sounding cynical, and perhaps it is, but it's, cynicism is well-informed in this case. Uh, it simply has been the history of these companies that they always have some other angle uh, going for them. So uh, they uh, re- uh, have re- revealed, it was is the way it was stated uh, in the article on The Guardian, uh, Climate Leadership Council, a group of senior Republican figures uh, that has proposed a $40 fee per ton of CO2 emitted as part of a, quote, free market limited government response to climate change. So conservatives wanting to do something about climate change, I think is worth noting. Of course, uh, even if we are suspicious of their motives and uh, and for, for good reason, and because we don't have to be that suspicious, it's clear what some of their intentions are that are not uh climate focused um it should be stated that at least they've been at least some conservatives and these oil companies have been forced into a position where uh they don't feel like they have any choice to do this now this may be they don't have any choice because public pressure has gotten so high or it may simply be that the actual effects of climate change are coming so fast that they feel the need to adapt like they have no they have no they have no landing strip left to sort of wiggle about before they even they are succumbing to these bad effects. We will discuss that in a moment uh, as well. Um, but it's, uh, it, they've called for, uh, quote, a consensus climate solution that bridges partisan divides, strengthens our economy, and protects our shared environment, uh, was the quote listed by the company. So I want to talk a little bit about what are some of our concerns are, Stefan, but uh, I'd like to go to you first here, and I'll jump in with some facts as you go. Yeah, um, so my... So this is what I've been waiting for, to be honest. Mm. Uh, I have been – this has been the thing that I've been harping on for a while and I've, I've been confused about for a while. And it's very interesting to see finally um, the right is, is taking this mantle up, um, which is the, the price on carbon is a very conservative way to deal with climate change, uh, like adding – especially a cap and trade. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, carbon tax a little bit less, but putting a price on carbon, letting the market deal with it, is is the right wing solution to climate change, and and not just by category, but also because they are actually the ones that proposed it, as to oppose a stronger regulation. So it's not even like it's theoretically classified as a right wing as a conservative idea. It actually came from them. <laughs> well, but but like it's a, you know it's a market based solution, right? This is you know when you talk about the the, the general existing dichotomies between left and right, the left looks for more regulation, the right looks for more market based solutions. Um, and in in many areas, this is many times this might be might be more difficult to pull off uh, but in this scenario it's 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 fascinating to see finally and what's interesting about the whole plan is that not only is it not only does this plan uh, supply a forty dollar price on carbon and then which it slowly increases um, so so very similar to very similar to what uh, what uh, Trudeau has suggested here in fact it's an extra ten dollars more uh, than what Trudeau has expected from the provinces um, let's just pause for a moment that Exxon BP and Shell have proposed a stronger price on carbon than Trudeau <laughs> not only is a stronger price on carbon uh, but an extra ten uh, but that's an American so that's an extra what are you looking that's at? an extra hundred dollars <laughs> <laughs> the um, uh, but the but what's interesting about that then they also in the same proposal uh, they want to get rid of a bunch of a bunch of regulations and 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 whether and what's interesting is that argue some of the regulations are inter, are, are sort of these you know there's this question about whether or not the EPA can 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 um, uh, can regulate CO two which was actually something brought in by the Obama considered during the Obama administration is currently being fought still mm-hmm. um, and getting rid of this sort of this clean this clean uh, this clean power plan um, which which again has a has a has a has a direct impact on mostly coal plants but a price on carbon would largely do th- like this this is one of the things where I'm like if 
I don't. It's frustrating because it's always one of the things where, like, when a bunch of right wing people come out and say this thing, they're never the ones in power. Um, you know, it's it's like you can have good idea, you can have good ideas that actually might solve things that are from from a right wing perspective, uh, but you won't do them because you will because you are the ones not in power. And as you get in power, you end up towing this very different line again. Which which is what honestly that that's the part that makes me really question uh, Exxon and BP and Shell, which is that these organizations have a lobbying ability to get things passed mm. if they wanted to get this passed. And and actually were committed to getting this passed and, 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 and if use their lobbying power and their connections within the American government to get this passed. Uh, I, I think they could. I yeah. really do. I, 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 I don't actually – like, you know, um, especially if – uh, especially with 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 the sort of the other, there's a whole bunch of other large organizations signed on to this too. There's not, it's not, you know, it's, it's senior Republican leaders, uh, it's Pepsi, uh, you know, there's there's like a bunch of it's Johnson and Johnson. There are these very large organizations that are that are within the United States. All of these organizations have a remarkable amount of 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 of, of lobbying ability. And so, if you really wanted to see this happen, you could. But this sort of public facing, we're gonna we're gonna put a full page ad out saying that we all want this consensus climate solution. Um, makes and doesn't happen makes me wonder what you're actually saying behind closed doors uh because that's that's for me is the piece right like yeah. what are you saying about like you know if 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 you, all of these organizations are doing it you have senior republicans you have you have you have the largest some large oil companies in the world you have unilever pepsi general motors johnson and johnson you can influence policy uh, especially given that you have uh, you have ingrained support entirely from from uh, from from the other side of the aisle, you know you only mm-hmm. need to flip a certain number of people to get this happening, yeah. um, and so and so that's what leads me to not be so co- so certain that they're that they're you know let alone the you know thirty years of climate denial also not exactly makes me so certain that they really care, but um, but specifically you know. If you were really going to do this, I think they could. And the fact that they're they're not makes me question if they're actually trying. Yeah. So there's there's a bunch of ways to look at this. So as Stefan was saying, it. Uh, um, uh, and I'll just as soon as I can find your quote from the article. Uh, but uh, there's the, the one of the angles to take essentially is yes. Okay. So you're quoting from the article as a further trade off of the new tax, the plan would dismantle all major climate regulations, including the EPA's protection, uh, EPA's authority over CO2 emissions, and an outright repeal of the Clean Power Plan. Uh, so essentially what this is saying was this is the only thing we will adhere to. Now, why is that so important? Well, one of the things that's important is that as we know, as we learned from the uh, uh, carbon offset uh, problem that we had a few years ago, which is arguably still there, but was was more of a problem sort of at first, uh, was that just having a price on carbon you you need to know where that money's going, right? That's the conversation that we were having here in Canada. Well, okay, well, what are you going to do with that money? So no details of this. If this is just being kicked back to the oil companies as a subsidy for and to say that, oh, well, we're going to invest that in like improving our resources, you know, our, our procurement eventually, then you're not really doing a lot. Um, you're not really instigating the fundamental change that the purpose of doing something like a carbon tax would do, right? So essentially one way to look at it is... Um, there's a there's a there's an argument to be made that essentially they know that no matter what eventually this is going to come down and by cleaning out all the regulations outside of the price on carbon and influencing how that price is done what you're essentially doing is you're you're preventing other actions from being taken right because eventually especially if they're thinking there's a good chance Trump's going to get impeached and there's a good chance Democrats are going to get back in in power the next time around that I mean that remains to be seen but that's definitely something they're going to think about 
and they come back in and they and they want to redo, they'll have all this sort of this mandate to repair the damage Trump has done. And there's a possibility that they might be on such a progressive wave that they might even go much, much stronger. So this could be a preventive. OK, we'll agree to this now to prevent you from demanding even more from us later. And by cleaning out all these regulations, it's going to take a lot of work to repair them. Right. Legislation is a lot of work. So they're essentially they're they're picking the terms about how this is going to go forward so that someone else can't. That's one way to look at it. Where the money goes is another way to look at it. Stefan's point about if they were really serious about this, they could have done it by now. Also another way to look at it. Um, And now, I mean, it should be it should be stated that some, uh, if not all those companies did protest very meekly uh, Trump pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord, partially because is like, hey, but so but the reason you can't say, well, okay, that, that means they're serious is because. The Climate Paris Accord didn't actually do anything as far as enforcement, and it provided a really good thing to point to to say, hey, look, we're on this thing, so therefore, you know, you have to take our word for it. Like, it was, it, it could be used to function very effectively as a smokescreen as to whether or not any actual action was being taken, right? It could be used to say, well, okay, we're working on it, and we did sign the accord, uh, and blah, blah, blah. So uh, there, there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of political sort of positioning that's going on with this, and I think we have every right to be extremely skeptical. Now... I'd like to conclude, as Stefan may have more to say on this, I will conclude my comments on this storage by saying it is entirely possible that they're serious. And I don't, I don't want to preclude that and say that that's not possible. What I'm saying is, uh, if they are serious, they have a hell of a lot more to do to convince us of that. Um, and this is not sufficient. Um, and there, there needs to be a lot of good faith. It needs to be justice-oriented. There, ne- there needs to be some clarity about what this money is going to be used for. The money has to be used for justice-based environmental uh, rep- uh, reparations, if you will. Uh, and there's a number of other things that really, really matter. And if they're serious, then, then you know, this is not good enough to convince us of that. Uh, come and talk to us, because if you are serious, we'll talk to you. Yeah. Uh, but this is not, uh, on its own, enough to convince us that you're serious. I would say that the two things that I would I'd say, one, is that the plan actually does include where the money would go. Uh, it would go to, basically, it would just, the idea is they just give the money back to the public, just directly, um, which is a reasonable way of going about it. Um, now, obviously, those of us uh, with a little more justice-based mind would like to see the money going back in a, in, a, in a reverse scale sort of way to ensure that the people who are, you know, if you are buying things and that's the amount of money you have and then carbon tax increases the price, you need to be helped out more than the person who just gets to buy less things. Uh, and so to, to, to include the amount of money um, that you're giving back as as equal to every single individual person is a actually a, a regressive tax, um, and so you so there definitely needs to be an understanding of how uh, how the money gets returned in, in a progressive way as well. Um, but the other thing about it, I think, which is which which is interesting, is that I think I would take it. You know, like if I like if I was if I was the Democrats right now and I was sitting in this thing and I could get a forty dollar price on carbon, um, presuming that uh, it would. Um, Presuming the one big question is here is how is it calculated and and what is included within that pricing scheme because that's the thing that matters perhaps more than anything um, and is really often missed without really looking into the policy of which you know how much tax are we missing uh, or how many how, ma- how many emissions are we missing from within the scale the, the scale we have here so even in Ontario we have price on carbon but it's only for certain size organizations and a couple are exempt and so there's a bunch of uh, carbon that's not a part of this carbon market and. And so if you could get this $40 ca- carbon tax to actually really include 
the glow, uh, 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 all all carbon or as much carbon as you possibly could, then you're really looking at something that could that, that could actually make some that could actually really make some change. And then you're looking at the possibility of of connecting that to a global market, which would is the ultimate I think requirement to really make this shift is right. a, is a global price. And and that's one of the arguments that could be made about why they maybe actually could be serious because one of the reasons why they might want this might might be to their advantage is that these are global companies, they're not American companies, and almost all the other markets they're in have this. And it could actually just be – it could be that there's some math that we're not – that is not clear because we don't have the numbers they're looking at where this is actually to their financial advantage well, it's also to because it has to do with balancing between markets and it means that they just sort of – they fit their product for one spec and, and like the, the, it could actually just be that this is just purely in their financial advantage. And then the, the last thing just really quickly about the reason I didn't say about the, the money was, of course, is that this is a like quote-unquote proposal. You know, we'll, They say they'll give the money back to the people. As Stefan said, there's the matter of uh, accountability if it's, for instance, if you know the flat tax that Paul Ryan was proposing, if you put all tax on sales tax, well, then the people who have to spend all their income on, on basic supplies, that's, you've just shifted the tax burden to the poor, right? So that's why, that's why you know, yeah. even they've said you're going to give it back, but okay, how are you going to do that? What's that going to look like? Until we see the legislation on that and not just some general vague statement, uh, that doesn't, is meaningless. Oh, no, 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 none of this is actually, that's the thing about this is that, you know, any kind of plan like this doesn't mean anything. Like, it's one of the things where it's, you could have a great sounding plan that you explain three or four things, but the devil is always in the details um and yeah if you aren't covering the re- enough carbon within your market um or anything like that then you're then you're not doing what you need to do uh but just to briefly go back to the one other point about this that what it does do and what i think is part of the part of the goal is that one thing businesses always want is stability they want to understand they want to be able to prepare prepare and plan for 10 15 20 years ahead you know god forbid any or any government decides that makes sense uh given that we uh, we have basically have four-year cycles here but um that's what businesses want and i think that this kind of thing is similar to when the coal industry here in ontario was basically say like regulate us give us this sort of thing so we can understand moving forward because if they don't know or if you know if in four years they get an $80 price in carbon and then four years later after that they get a $0 price in carbon, four years later, that's actually worse for business than just a slowly rising and planable uh, price in carbon increasing. Um, and so these are the sort of things that businesses are often looking for. Um, and, and so it would not be surprising if that's at least a part of this, of the goal of this. Right. And also, just why everyone should accept the price on carbon. Yeah. All right. So we've got a, we've got about two minutes left. I just want to quickly mention the uh, the CBC thing. So the uh, Trudeau government is uh, trying to reverse some of the damages to the CBC damages that were done essentially by uh, trying to. Uh, there was a, a bunch, basically a bunch of Harper's buddies uh, were put on the board of the Canadian broadcaster, uh, the CBC. And this, uh, and they uh, essentially tried to erode it from within by um, focusing efforts on things that had to be profitable, which was also a very convenient, which sounds good, even though it's not good, but it, it's easy to market that as good. Uh, never mind the fact that it, it, what it also does is it also eliminates a number of types of programs like investigative journalism or arts and culture and things that, that are important for Canada but aren't necessarily going to get as good ratings as Dragon's Den, even though Dragon's Den is useless uh, exhibitionism and is generally not – doesn't do anything for anyone other than some minor entertainment. The question is should our public broadcaster be doing that? I would argue no. Many people would argue no. And it looks like some of these decisions will be done. There's going to be some diversification uh, done on their board. Uh, and some, and not just a bunch of you know liberal friends instead of uh, conservative friends. Uh, there is going to be some efforts made to actually uh, uh, diversify um, some of the influence here and repair it back to its actual intention, which is to provide a service. Uh, essentially, the point of a public broadcaster is to provide things that are of a public good 
that aren't necessarily profitable because the whole point is if they were profitable, someone else would be doing them already. Um, so there are things that are not going to necessarily be hugely successful or necessarily not necessarily be money uh, sucks, but maybe not be as profitable as other things. That is the entire point of publicly financing a broadcaster. And uh, so I, I will take this rare opportunity to give an unqualified good job uh, as long as they do it. Uh, uh, an unqualified good job on that, uh, specifically with relation to journalism, uh, is my particular interest uh, on that. We're out of time. Stay tuned. If you're uh, on the podcast coming up on Monday, we'll be able to listen to our conversation, which we're going to record now, but you can hear Monday uh, about Stephen Hawking saying that humans must colonize another planet in the next 100 years or face extinction. That's it for The Green Majority this week. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Happy Pride and have a good week.